Welcome to the Dash Arts Podcast, Seeing the World Through an Artistic Lens. I'm Josephine Burton, Artistic Director of Dash Arts. And hello, I'm Marie Horner, Dash's podcast producer. Hi, Marie. Hello. Nice to see you. Very nice to see you. <laughs> so, so 2023 has been um, the start of a lot of new projects for us. Right. So the beginnings of so many conversations and productions. Yes, so many starts. And I think the very first thing that happened in that very first week of January was was entering the rehearsal room um, to work on Crimea 5am, which was a um, a beautiful play written by two Ukrainian playwrights, Anastasia Kosady, more on her later, and um, <laughs> Natalka Voroshbit, who wrote a play uh, drawn from interviews with the wives of political prisoners in uh, who were Crimean Tatar, who were based in Crimea. Oh, yeah, there was there was one. He tried playing the nice cop while the other one never let us go. So so we were sitting there, you see, and um, the nice one, he said to her, hey, hey, don't be afraid. Nothing bad's going on. It's all good. It's all good. And she, she, she replied, what's good about it? You came. That by itself means nothing good is happening. 15 people entered at once. They showed the warrant straight away, which said, well, namely that Timur was going to be imprisoned from 20 years to life. And so they began searching the living room here. They examined our computer from top to bottom, took his phone, and they started moving little by little into the hall, the kitchen, rummaged through the freezer of all things, the microwave, put their hands on every bowl, every plate. And when I asked them what on earth it was they were looking for, they, they said it was something about literature and weapons and so on. When they finally reached the bedroom, they turned their attention to the children's backpacks and started investigating every page of the report book and every notebook. Dash, we've had opportunities over the years to sort of dip into the world of of Crimea, but this was a proper immersion to get to know the story, to understand the experiences of of real people and their lives. So uh, we made we worked on the show together. We we created a production, and then we made a, Marie and I made a brilliant <laughs> podcast. Well, I thought it was brilliant. We made a podcast <laughs> about the experience, which you can listen back to, yes. um, which features. Uh, some of the voices of the vo- the show, um, academics will be brought in to talk a little bit about the world of Crimea and the history, and also some of the non-professional actors that I brought into the piece. Right, so when I first saw that performance, bringing together journalists, academics, professional and non-professional performers coming together on a stage, what was really impactful for me was seeing the impact that it had on those non-professional performers being able to be part of that experience why did you make that decision well in this particular play it was actually a note in in the play script for Anastasia and Natalka saying it would be wonderful don't fully stage it and it would be because it's impossible to stage and perhaps kind of um maybe we shouldn't be staged as this piece of sort of documentary theater but also try and bring in other voices and that really spoke to me at Dash because you know really since our very beginning we've always tried we've always intended and gone of set out to work with artists and communities um 
from from the diaspora communities from the world we're looking at or the artists themselves or the people really to um ensure that this piece is truly rooted in the communities that, that have that kind of have given it birth and um, whether that's working with non-professional actors from those communities or with diaspora artists based here um peopling the show with live with lived experience that brings a kind of level of richness and understanding to the work but also to everybody else so we we are kind of blessed to have in a rehearsal creative space people who can share their own reflections which helps everyone kind of extends everyone else's understanding so i brought into the room for the for crimea 5 a.m um uh, journalists who've had an experience of, 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 of sort of thinking about what it is to be a citizen journalist that are the, the, the Crimean Tatars who were imprisoned in, uh, in, in Crimea um, I have, have been accused of being citizen journalists literally documenting what's going on so I thought it'd be very interesting to bring in journalists who have that experience of what, what it could be like to be persecuted for your for just telling a story um, ensured that I, we brought in from a car, from the cast some Muslim actors and actors who came from the Turkic and Arabic world to bring in that experience because the Crimean Tatars are Turkic people, Turkic Muslims. And I wanted to bring in some Ukrainians as well. So there were professional Ukrainian actors and non-professional actors. And it's fair to say that the, that, that, um, that mixture that bringing together of people was incredibly impactful, not only for the audience, but for those that were involved, to the extent that someone had to send you a voice note, right? Afterwards, yeah. like they, couldn't, they couldn't keep in their response to being part of the play. Yeah, the fabulous Maria Romanenko, who actually came down from Manchester to, to, to be with us for the week. Um, Maria had moved back to, had moved to the UK after, um, after the war broke out in February 2022. And she... Um, was a wonderful part of our rehearsal space. Um, and also, I don't know if you will need this, but um, it was a very interesting experience for me to uh, participate in this with the majority of performers being professional actors because they set a very high standard for the performance and for the rehearsals, not just being a non-professional actor doing this, but also being surrounded by wonderful, wonderful actors. Um, and as a last thing, uh, obviously, it was very important for me to take part in this because uh, it's continuing to tell the world about what's going on and continuing to tell the world about something that has been happening since 2014 and, and something that everybody managed to ignore or pretend it's not happening or minimize or talk less about. So I think it was a very uh, good way to tell the world what's happening and ensure that the world still talks about Crimea. So Crimea 5am was written in 2020. So um, it was written before the current full-scale war in Ukraine. We wanted to sort of bring everyone up to date. So we had, certainly in the rehearsal room, we got the lowdown on what had happened to some of the political prisoners um, who unfortunately have been sentenced to insanely long years in prison in like Russian penal colonies. So we had that sort of ability to update on what's happening um, in, in, in Crimea to the communities, but also in some ways sort of to, to sort of think more widely about what was going on, you know, what Russians had been doing in Crimea for the last eight years and what's going on today. So that was my sort of first opportunity to really have a kind of an update from artists and, and journalists and academics about what's going on in Ukraine. Which is also connected to this beginning exploring the work of Isaac Babel, which we began this year. 
I think that's right. I I wanted to work on, I wanted to look at um, sort of contemporary Ukraine, also learn of look back through history and find things that resonate with me that have some relevance today on, on the contemporary political situation. So I guess that's how we ended up with Babel. And, and before, but before we talk about Babel, maybe we should have a bit of context on him from the most wonderful Boris Draliuk, who is probably one of the, is the reason really why I, I, I kind of got to know Babel and fell in love with him because um, he's a phenomenally engaging translator and um, academic. And actually, we've I think you've cut a little bit, haven't you, from the previous... Yeah, there is a full episode on Babel that you could listen back for, but this is a little taster from Boris. Well, I think he's, he's frequently regarded now as, as one of the great uh, prose writers of the 20th century, um, a revolutionary stylist. Um, revolutionary in two senses of the word. He 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 definitely revolutionized um, uh, the uh, literary language um, in his na- native environment. Um, he brought something new to Russian literature, Russian language literature, and he was also associated um, through his writing with the tremendous changes uh, that swept across the former Russian uh, Empire, what became the Soviet Union, uh, during the Revolution and Civil War. So he was revolutionary in those in, in those ways. He was a Jewish writer, born in Odessa uh, at the tail end of the 19th century in 1894. He was born in what is frequently called the Jewish ghetto in Odessa, although Odessa was such a Jewish town, I, I hesitate to use the, the term ghetto to describe any of its neighborhoods, but the neighborhood is Maldavanka, the, the more dangerous, the rougher neighborhood uh, in Odessa. He did not exactly grow up in poverty, but he was fascinated by the life of Moldavanka and drew on it for a number of stories in the 1920s, especially on on the life of the uh, Jewish gangsters and of those simply trying to make ends meet uh, in a society that was dead set against their success. That's one cycle of stories for which he's famous. The other cycle of stories has him as a political commissar, essentially, a reporter attached to a division of uh, Cossacks uh, who are fighting against the Poles in what is now Ukraine and witnessing the horrors of that conflict. So during that interview with Boris, uh, you asked a really important question about how Baba can help us understand what's happening in Ukraine today. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I did. He, he, he. I mean, there is that amazingly kind of, kind of extraordinary um, connection because Isaac Babel, who was um, was sort of born in and around Odessa, was a um, a Jewish man who uh, spoke Russian at home, and yet was living in contemporary Ukraine and was just caught up in the turmoil of that period of the kind of fall of the Russian Empire and the, then the Civil War and then the kind of kind of growing Soviet Union and that almost that kind of taste of possible independence that happened in Ukraine it was just such a kind of turbulent time that is not the same as what's going on now but certainly that kind of the war the still kind of the excitement that are uprising the complete chaos obviously has massive resonance today. For the last 30 years it has been independent Ukraine and it has enjoyed being an independent Ukraine. It has pledged allegiance to this to this nation. Um, and the nation has, by and large, respected the uniqueness of this place and protected it. Most Odessans don't want to belong anywhere other than Ukraine. You know, r- right now, in this current moment, what, what Bible stories of the war, uh, of, of the Red Cavalry can show us, is how complicated and how dangerous 
and how destructive um, even a conflict for supposedly good can be. It can show us what imperial forces do to people who are disempowered, who are simply caught between. Bible stories can show us what life for people who have to endure war uh, and did not choose war, what that looks like. But his stories of Odessa show us what diversity we find in the territory of Ukraine, how different the Russian-speaking com community of Ukraine is uh, from the Russian-speaking community of Russia. Um, it shows us um, how culture can develop in a city that has so many different elements going on at the same time. And he told these stories in the Red Cavalry, and I was just interested to see if we can find a way to use the Red Cavalry as a, an opportunity to reflect in a different way on, on the situation. But I haven't yet found the way. <laughs> I haven't yet found the way that we're going to do it. So that piece is sort of, the research is there, and I'm sort of sitting on it and sitting on it with the artist um, and hoping like maybe to find, kind of to unlock something in 2024 that will help us to take it forward. So a beginning that we don't have an end for yet. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to The Reckoning. Last week, you were in the rehearsal room to begin bringing together a new piece. I think mm. this is the first time we've talked about The Reckoning. It is, yeah. yeah. So The Reckoning has sort of been cooking all year. In a way, it, it came about because Anastasia and I... Um, connected over the Crimea 5am just had this instinct you know sometimes you just have those instincts with people I had this sort of instinct to honest to see that it would be interesting to do something together and then around that same week I was contacted by the people at the Reckoning Project who said we're building an archive of testimonies from survivors of the war in Ukraine and they are incredibly harrowing and difficult and 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 we are gathering them for in order to extract evidence in order to help support uh, particular crimes that we could prosecute Russians for in courts of law but actually these stories these personal stories are amazing and need to be heard and their lives need to be um recognized and 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 sometimes they're very unheroic heroic acts they're sort of ordinary heroism should in some way be acknowledged i sort of asked anastasia if she wanted to go on this journey with me and she wonderfully was interested in it so we've spent the year reading testimonies and thinking about how how we could possibly thread together uh, something that could be a compelling dramatic story and a narrative how we could make something that would feel sort of sort of safe enough to share that wouldn't be too harrowing and too difficult and yet would really sort of tell these stories and actually um, bring that human face to this tragedy that's unfolding in Ukraine. We came together in London and we brought together cast of six actors four who are from ukraine and now based in the uk and two brits and um a wonderful ukrainian composer and a movement director and so on to kind of come together to sort of look at that script to work out uh, what we can whether it works whether our text works how how it could whether we could stage it how it would feel um how if we if we bring Ukrainian language into the rehearsal room, how does it feel for people as alienating? I mean, we had loads of questions. I suppose for me to be working on something so kind of the material is so harrowing, and yet to be working with these incredible professional actors who have a certain 
who can bring a playfulness in their general kind of demeanor um, that would offset some of that horror without undermining it. That was my intention, and I think we found something. Yeah, just uh, reading it here with all of you, it was uh, a lot easier and uh, lighter. Because when I've read it uh, by myself, uh, I felt, to be honest, very like down. Uh, it was uh, hard to read, and uh, yeah, I thought it is uh, so oh, dark material. But here, it feels like it's uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, especially when like hear it out, uh, like hear it uh, when when it's read out loud. Uh, there are like. Um, Funny moments, <laughs> yeah. It is also uh, relieving. Did anybody else feel like your first reflection upon hearing it and it feeling lighter, more hopeful? Did anybody else have that yeah. experience? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I shared it too. Yeah. Let's hear. Can we hear a little bit? Every time, <clears throat> every time I'm thinking about this script, uh, I ask myself why they are survived. And mm -hmm. at the very end, you understand that uh, the most important things is family, dogs, cats, yeah. and your belief in God and in your really close persons. And you will survive if you help others to survive. Reading this, uh, when we're reading these stories, there's like inner conflict for me because conflict between, <coughs> by one hand, I see we're reading the stories, horrible stories which already happened, and it's kind of a, okay, it's in the past. Mm. But in the same moment, I know that it's so present and it's happened every day now, still, mm. these kind of stories with people on occupied territories. So it was really the first stage to see to see how it works, to see to see what landed and what we need to take out, and and um and what we need to do more of. And uh, the intention is to go back to Berlin in January, and for Anastasia and I to sort of reflect on that week and what we learnt and what we want to change about the script. Well, I caught up with Anastasia actually after that sharing because I was really keen to hear about her reflections of working specifically with. Dash, because she does work with a, quite a few different European theatre mm. companies, and it was really um, enlightening actually to hear what's different to working with Dash to some of her other collaborations. Yeah, so I'm I'm working um, with European collaborations since I think like six or seven years. Obviously, it was much less before. Now it's more, and um, and also the sad thing is that now people know much more about Ukraine. Um, but sometimes they form um, very strong opinions uh, also about Russian-Ukrainian war that are sometimes not very accurate uh, and they're very strong with these opinions and sometimes it's very hard to overturn them. Um, but um, I have to say that it was different uh, with, with the Dash art uh, also because um, the first work that I saw, the songs for Bob and Yar, it kind of mm, put a lot of trust into me um, that these people obviously understand Ukrainian context quite deeply um, and I don't have to explain a lot of things, you know, and we are sort of on one page. 
And uh, yeah, we started working with Josephine on this text, The Sinking Summer, and uh, we read a lot of uh, documentary materials, we discussed them, we decided uh, which uh, should we pick and how should we approach in general the storytelling of this uh, play. We also decided, for example, that it shouldn't be a purely documentary play, that we should include also the elements of the fiction in it. Um, and I was very happy about it, I have to say, because in my opinion also oftentimes fiction, um, maybe like post-dramatic fiction and theater can explain certain things much better than the pure documentary monologue of a person. I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear Anastasia reflect, I mean, because she and I are very much on a on a uh, on the same page about that and it was a lovely moment because I didn't I'd only ever encountered Anastasia and had with with doc, kind of mainly documentary based work I know she's done much more than that but I so I was really keen that we found a way to build you know for the kind of the heart of this piece be a story I'm also at a similar stage with the other project we've been cooking up this year our public house because all year we've been traveling the country gathering amazing testimonies no that's the other project amazing speeches speeches written by people about things they believe in things they're passionate about and they want to change not testimonies <laughs> but they are really testimonies oh, too i mean not. like it's yeah. just because they all come from that place of something that they that this person has had a particular experience that has informed their decision or formed their feeling that something's not working or informed their feeling that something we all need to be doing whatever it is that they're doing and then they take us along with them there is that connection with the testimony in that way but it's completely different because uh, it's very future looking it's forward looking the public house it's all about what we're not doing that we should be doing more in the future i loved gathering all these stories and hearing people and helping them to deliver them and this podcast that you've podcast series that you've produced for us marie gives such a great taste of that it has this incredible um montage of of little snippets and little ideas and focuses on some people and um the intention has always been to make a play that will in some way kind of bring all of those ideas together and will also simultaneously give us a sort of a broader vision of who we are as a country based on the things that we feel passionate about and i've sort of come to this conclusion towards this sort of year that there needs to be a story at the heart of the play we need to sort of do something that's not just a montage if we're going to stage it. So I'm, I'm simultaneously been looking for the story for The Reckoning and also what's the story for that will wrap together or kind of be rooted in, but not necessarily do something more than these speeches. Um, so there, I guess I'm just, you know, sticking with the drama at the heart of the work. Mm. I have real empathy <laughs> for you in trying to navigate the volume of voices and stories mm. and experiences and challenges because so many of the people we encountered through our public house were so passionate. They had such fire behind mm. their story and what they wanted to change. Um, especially ahead of the general election, there were so many messages towards our leaders in this country that I, making those podcasts, it was it was such a joy to do that and to hear those voices, but also so challenging because I didn't want to leave anyone behind. Oh, I know. 
I, I, I mean, I, I started to make a little short list of who are the voices that I want to make sure we bring in some way into the play. And we, we have about 120 speeches, I guess, yeah. slightly over 120. And, and I've gone down and done shortlists. And I, it's very hard to get down to like 20. Like I've got kind of 20. And, uh, but, um, and it's, I suppose, the only way that I end up first sort of trying to break them down is going, well, they're all talking about, you know, there's, we have a lot of very individual, beautiful speeches around, for example, the climate issues around. So maybe we don't need like 20 of those climate right. related things. We'll mm-hmm. take a few and then they will in some way represent all of them. But I agree with you. And, and, and then the other thing is that it's, and maybe you're saying the same thing, but um, it's not just the content of the speeches. It's like, I can, I can remember that person in the room. Yeah. I can remember like who they were, what they didn't write down, but they told, they, they, they told me or they told, you know, they told us as they were writing them. And so mm. there's a lot, mm. there's a lot to carry with us. I guess the other relationships that really stand out for me as part of that project is the two academics that we got to work with and we're continuing um, to work with on that. Yeah, I mean, Um, the the project could not... So our public house could not have happened were it not for the uh, support, brilliant passion of uh, the two academics, Henrietta and Alan. Hello, I'm Dr Henrietta van der Blom. I'm a reader in ancient history at the University of Birmingham. I'm principal investigator on the speech, speech, dramatizing rhetorical speech writing project in which we are cooperating with Dash Arts and Dash Arts is going to produce a theatre production called Our Public House at the End. So it's several projects rolled into one, but at the heart of it is training people to speak out and do so skillfully and eloquently. My name is Alan Finlayson. I'm professor of social and political theory at the University of East Anglia in Norwich. I'm talking about the words and they're talking about the speaking that I'm helping the with Henrietta, although we all do this together, helping the participants to organise their thoughts and arguments in a way that hopefully will be intelligible to an audience and helping them shape up those arguments and maybe give them some rhythm, some poetry. But then all that is for naught if it isn't delivered well, if somebody mumbles or stumbles or is nervous. I think what the dash can do is help people learn some basic techniques to not be nervous, help them think about being on a stage, as it were, even if that's just in front of some people in a small classroom, and how they can articulate themselves in a way that is going to be clear and effective. And for me, that also then feeds back into thinking about the words, because one of the things people often do when they start writing a speech is they write something more like an essay or a letter or some written form of work, which isn't quite the same as what you would say. So helping people think about the fact that these are words that are meant to be alive and in the moment. They aren't necessarily words that are going to work at a different time. The great novels, the great plays last and have meaning and power across centuries. Speeches sometimes do that, they often don't. That's not a weakness of them because a speech is for a moment. For these people here... At this moment, thinking about this thing, we find a way to speak to them, the language, but also the tone and the style of address that brings people together in that moment to see something in the same way. It's a, it's a strange, it's a, it, it was a kind of wonderful relationship with Alan and Henrietta because um, we kind of came, we came together over this project that was funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council and... Um, the 2023 was the project for them that they've that they've bought the funding for push out this idea widely across the country that um that people could speak passionately and coherently about things they believe in and kind of test the theory which they 
beautifully did and we wanted to do something at the end of I guess this first part of the project that would mark um, all of the work that would happen to date that would sort of celebrate Alan Henrietta um, contribution and and be able to 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 bring to, to sort of tease out some of the work that Dash brought to the project, the performance side that Alan was just mentioning, and enable us to really continue to work with some other participants and so kind of help them deliver the speeches that they've written in front of live audiences in Manchester and London. So they were a kind of series of events we did in November last month, um, bringing together some of the participants at, alongside academics and speechwriters and activists to talk about the power of speech making. Those events were really powerful. Because, yes, there were some brilliant panellists. It was great to reflect on the process and the whys. But they actually really, for me, felt like moments for the participants. They felt like that Mm. they were moments that they would never have experienced or had the opportunity necessarily to do if they hadn't taken that first step into those workshops. And it really reminded me of how brave, actually, Mm. each and every single one of those over 120 people were to answer that question what do you want to change now can you tell other people about it yeah and that's what that's what I took away I I, not to not to downplay the the process and what um Dash's intention and what Henrietta's and and Alan's intention were because that was at the heart of it It was brilliant but actually those events for me were about those voices yeah that's such a lovely reflection Marie you're so right it it was about it was it was for the participants and it would have been totally brilliant to have had all 120 plus there <laughs> would have been a long night it would have been pretty long <laughs> um yeah but then we've got you as well so we've got tastes from it from the podcast <laughs> do check them out they're they're like there's a whole three there's three there's, three parts still for the podcast. yeah yeah there's one more to come um yeah but i think you're right i i uh there were particularly some so so the Two of the individuals, I guess, I was thinking about who, for whom it was really important, particularly, um, was Kaylee, who just who who we met in HMP Style, who had recently been released, and uh, for her to be speaking publicly um, on stage, rather than being locked away in the orphanage of of the kind of former orphanage of Style, was amazing. And also Michael, who came down from uh, Sheffield to be with us, and Michael kind of said to me afterwards, I was like, "How did you feel, Michael?" And he said, "Um." He said it was all right actually it was all right but I just couldn't I think I think I could speak because I didn't know anybody in the audience but I, th- I couldn't have said that he said if I'd you know been up in Sheffield I wouldn't have had the confidence yes. to say it to people I knew which yeah. I thought was really interesting um I as I went back backstage uh after the event with them and I and I didn't I, I kind of <laughs> I interrupted uh our producer Christina who was who was interviewing them so actually I, I think you're going to play aren't you now That's the clip right, with yeah. with, uh, with um, Michael and Kaylee and there's a bit of noise in the background and it's me not realizing <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that that Christina's doing a wonderful interview which you're about to hear so I'm really <laughs> I have to apologize in advance that it's me that causes the audio interruption <laughs> I didn't realize that was you <laughs> Well, it was a great experience, but also, like, it's given me opportunities because, like, I've had, like, two people now come to me and say I should go back into creative writing and performance, and I've got an offer for, for someone called Hattie Naylor, and she's based in she- Sheffield Halem University. She's just given me a detail. She so said, you can try and come here if you want, and we've got courses available for you. And I don't even need, like, maths and nothing like that to get into it. She said, I can do it just with the English that I've got brilliant thank you so much and how did you how did you think tonight went at first I was a bit nervous but then when it's all over and it's done it's like 
feel better now. I feel more relieved and relaxed. I feel more relaxed now. It was a brilliant experience and thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for taking part. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll be in touch. Uh, all right, Michael. What, what do you make of the whole, this whole thing? What's well, absolutely amazing. Uh, never done anything like this before, but uh, uh, following on from other activities, this is uh, just greatly increased my confidence. Give me a boost that uh, I can uh, stretch my comfort zone. Yeah, it's, uh, it gives you it gives you a real buzz. Uh, and uh, you know, proves that uh, stick to your your guns, and you know, enjoy. Uh, and certainly, my confidence uh, in speaking, in being able to construct a speech with your help, uh, has given me a real uh, shot in the arm. Been brilliant too. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much Thank indeed. You. So nice to see you nice again, my love. And too. hopefully we'll catch up. So Josephine, we're closing out 2023, heading into 2024. How are you feeling about it? Um, I, I think, I don't know, honestly, Marie. I mean, it's obviously the massive sort of elephant in the room that we haven't talked about in this podcast is... is, is, is um, what's been unfolding in the Middle East and how mm. Israel and Gaza has has sort of impacted on a lot of our work as it has on everybody's lives. Um, and I'm conscious that the, the, the kind of Ukraine, the concern, the world's concern around Ukraine has slipped down the agenda and down the news cycles or disappeared off the news cycles as yes. we've all been completely monopolized by the horrors emerging from the Middle East. Mm. And and that impacts on our lives and impacts on budgets and impacts on, you know, there's a kind of sense of the tension, I think, that sort of exists in the arts world and wider, but the polarizing, all of those things are just not good. And I suppose it, it, it um, continues to inspire me to try through the kind of small ways that we can to help bring people together and help to change people's... Um, change change the way that people see the world which is I guess it dashes the heart of our mission I'm excited about going back into the rehearsal room of public house I'm really excited about what comes through continues with the reckoning we have another project that we haven't even spoken about on this podcast that's sort of it's been very embryonic this year and um, but I hope to be able to start talking about it in the new year project um uh, with very wonderful Hattie Naylor, who uh, worked with with Dido's Bar, so I'm looking forward to being able to like get to start working on that. So there's lots of that. There's financial challenges, as there Absolutely. is for any running a small mm-hmm. charity. Um, but largely, I I guess I have an amazing team at Dash, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of support around us. Um, we've got some brilliant friends and partners and allies. Um, and the kind of core of and trustees I should thank as well um, uh, but also the, just like you know the team of Dash is really strong uh, we've, we, we've kind of grown a bit this year we've brought you in well, Marie I'm very grateful uh, we also have a wonderful and <laughs> no, we love having you um, uh, and we've got a lovely really lovely uh, new executive director um, and Moya and uh, and and somebody new doing our marketing and pushing out this podcast Jesse so that's lovely to have such a lovely team so I feel lots of great kind of like new beginnings lots of good opportunities but huge challenges and maybe a general election probably as well that will also change up some of the dynamics in the UK and America so much 
There's so much going on. We've also, Maria, I haven't even told you, I've got these little plots and plans to do other stuff with the podcast next year, which oh, I, might, I might like tell you about next year offline. Uh, but um, <laughs> at Dash, we haven't done our live. We haven't done sort of live Dash, Dash cafes for so long. Mm. We're thinking about bringing them back also. Oh, so if there's stuff that you're interested in... Um, us focusing on bringing back doing more live events conversations gigs let us know because we're trying to cook up different ways to 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 sort of continue our work both live and digitally so please write to us through our website dasharts.org.uk drop us an email um review us um through like all your all your podcast platforms and um tell all your friends about us yeah please do we really want to know and we really want to hear so thank you thank you josephine thank you marie have a (laughs) wonderful festive season you too